0: All right, if we can uh, make our way to our seats, we're going to get started. And I am going to do something that somebody might get mad at me for, but I just decided I'm going to do it anyway, um, which is always a great preface to anything you do. Uh, for the, some of the, you uh, who uh, weren't able to make it to our, our last family meeting, I just wanted to uh, express some appreciation uh, to, to Jim Rogers and Gail, as uh, Jim is, uh, uh, what would you call it, resi- not resigning, but retiring was the word. Uh, he's been an elder uh, in combination with uh, GC, HGC for probably about 15 years. Um, that's a long bit of service of faithfulness uh, to the body and we appreciate all that Jim and, and and Gail is as much a part of that as as Jim is because we know that uh, we work together in ministry and uh, so I would encourage you if you get a chance to just express your gratitude to them Jim and Gail are going to continue with um, some uh, the counseling ministry and some other uh, areas that they are involved in the church but um, just uh, has expressed a desire to kind of take a back seat to some of the lead with uh, uh, the, for lack of a better term, government, I don't know what, uh, shepherding, not shepherding, because he's still going to do that. Uh, uh, So anyway, I just wanted to say thank you publicly to them and for their many years of service and and encourage you when you get a chance to just express that appreciation to them. um, And uh They are going to be leaving us in a few weeks to go to uh, a warmer climate Uh, and they will, I'm sure, be thinking of us as they sit on the beach in Hawaii and we are freezing with snow and ice and all kinds of stuff. But uh, So if you uh, don't get a chance to today, make sure you do so in the next uh, week or so before they leave. So just thank you both um, for your service and commitment to the Lord in that. So uh, we are going to be continuing Advent. We are in chapter 10 of Hebrews this morning as we walk through our third week of Advent. And if you would, turn your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 18 this morning, and then we're going to look at it and see how it tells us about Advent. Um, So Hebrews chapter 10, if you would, once you have that, stand with me as we read. We're going to read verses 1 through 18 starting at verse 1. It says, "...for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any uh, consciousness of sin." But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. at His service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered once for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering He had perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." We thank you for your word. We ask that you would minister to us, that you would speak truth to us, that you would convict us where we need conviction. And Lord, we just pray that as we uh, look at you, we would see our Savior, our Redeemer, and we would offer praise and glory to you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I suddenly feel like my mouth is dry. Well, we are continuing with Advent. We've looked at uh, the first two weeks. We, we talk about why Advent is exciting, why it is something that, as, as the original, the Latin tells us, Adventus, meaning uh, uh, a coming and a coming with anticipation. We look at Advent and we say, why is it so special about the birth of Jesus that He came? And, and really, the first two points we've looked at is, number one, He came, uh, which is significant that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, would see us in our sin, in our condemnation, and He comes. And we ought to be excited about that. We ought to celebrate that is wholly worth Uh, worshiping the Lord because He has come. And not just that He has come, but we looked, secondly, that He lived, that He took on flesh and blood, that He might live among us, that He might uh, be able to be our Redeemer because He has lived and and died on our behalf and in our place, and He is raised from the dead. and, And as we looked at last week, to conquer the fear of death and the power that the devil has in death over us. Well, this week we want to look at, uh, as, as we read, heard from Mark chapter 10, that the disciples were astonished at the rich young ruler, that he walked away and they looked to Jesus and they say, well, if this is the case, who can be saved? And Jesus says some very important words. He says, with man, you're right, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And the reason why it is possible is because He came and He overcame. And that is worth celebrating. That is worth building up the anticipation of Advent because He came, He lived, and He overcame. And so when we start to look at this text in Hebrews, one of, one of the, the great passages of, of this writer as he is Laying out for, remember the context, Jewish believers who are struggling, probably in Jerusalem, struggling with this idea that they had been, that. To give themselves selves of their life to Christ meant to forsake their family, their Jewish traditions, and they were outcasts and they were cast aside. And so I can imagine the Jewish believer walking into the temple and seeing the sacrifices being offered, seeing family, seeing everything that's going on and starting to struggle internally. Is this worth it? Is it really worth it to forsake? Because to the Jew, uh, heritage and family are were everything. To the Jew, they had been promised by God that they would forever uh, have a name and a place, and that name was the sons and daughters of Abraham, and that place was Jerusalem and, and the nation of Israel. And to walk into that, having been cast aside from that, the Jewish believer would have said, Is it worth it, this Messiah who was beaten and crucified and, and put to death? And the answer from the Hebrew the writer of Hebrews is this It is worth it because Jesus is better Jesus is better he's better than Moses we hear that Jesus is a better prophet than Moses Jesus is better than Aaron he is a better priest than Aaron he is better than the high priest who comes in once a year he is better than Melchizedek he is better he offers a better sacrifice than these sacrifices that are offered in the temple he is worth it and he explains this to a struggling people And we can sit here and say, well, I'm not Jewish, so I don't connect with that. But the reality is, as Christians, as believers, we can so oftentimes look around at the world around us and say, is it really worth it? To be persecuted, to be mocked, whatever it looks like, is it worth it? And the answer is, Jesus is better. He's better. And so the passage starts with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And so what the writer is trying to establish and what should be significant to us is the reality of what is our impossibility. What is our impossibility? So he starts out by saying the sacrifices and the offerings of the Old Testament, what is recorded in, in the law, all of these things are but a shadow. They are a shadow. God prescribed them so they're not bad. We can't sit here and say, let's cast out the Old Testament. It's bad. No, God wrote the Old Testament. He, he gave it to us for a specific reason. It is valuable. In fact, the psalmist says that, the oh, how I love the law. It is perfect for converting the soul. The testimony of the wise is made uh, uh, sure by the, 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 the word. But there's a reality here. A reality that if we uh, misunderstand the purpose of the shadow, we miss the reality. And so the writer says that these are but a shadow. God never uh, wrote the Old Testament because it was His desire, as we're going to look at, for people to offer animal sacrifices. That was not His desire, that people would come and have all these offerings and and various things. What God really wanted, and what we're going to see here, is that what God wanted was a broken and contrite spirit. He wanted people to recognize that their sin was awful and that when they they came to the high priest and brought a lamb, it was put to death because that is what they deserved. But the writer says that these things are a shadow, that they, they, they are never the solution. And so we read, he says, Otherwise, if they were... Wouldn't they have ceased to be offered? Wouldn't they have stopped since the worshiper would have been cleansed? Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't if we offered an animal sacrifice, if that's really what the solution was, wouldn't it have stopped and, and wouldn't the Old Testament law been sufficient instead of what Paul says when he says that, that the law just made him aware of sin? And that's what this writer of Hebrews is telling us, that the, the annual sacrifices of blood of bulls and goats, they're just a reminder of sin. They, they can't take away sin. They're a shadow. They're not not effective. They're not a removal, but a reminder is what he says. They're a shadow. If you think about what a shadow is, it's it's not the actual image. It's not the actual thing. It's a shadow. A shadow of a key will never unlock a door. A shadow of bread will never fill your tummy. A shadow of, of the cross won't take away sins, but the cross itself. It's impossible to take away sins this is the great predicament of humanity is it not that we are cursed by sin that when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden they they were forever condemned and and we need payment to be made for that sin this is the gospel message is it not that and the reality is as the disciples looked at this rich young ruler who had it all together he he was influential he was moral he was a A good man, and when he comes to Jesus, he says, there's something lacking. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And what God was addressing in the flesh was that his heart was fixated on possession and money, and that was his God, and and he needed to give it up. And the disciples are amazed at this, and they say, if this guy can't get in, who can and brothers and sisters, if we have not come to Christ, this is the reality of our predicament is that we can be religious and we can show up every Sunday at church and we can do all these things that, like giving money to the church, like praying, doing all these things, but they're not sufficient. They never will be. It's the predicament that we're in. It's impossible to make full payment for sin. To be just before God is to be eternally punished. That's that's the only reality that we have. It's the impossibility that we face that to to be made right with God is to be eternally punished because that's what we deserve. And every sacrifice, everything that we do is just a reminder of this predicament. Every sacrifice is an attempt to empty all the grains of sand off the entire Pacific Ocean with a teaspoon. Impossible. Impossible. And that's what the writer is getting at here, that that the the law, it it was prescribed in such a way that we ought to be reminded and and pointed to the one very fact of this impossibility that there is nothing and there is no hope. And then we get this beautiful passage of Scripture, verses 5, 6, and 7. It's an incredible passage. It's a divine conversation. It takes place in eternity past between the the Son and the Father. And it's about when Jesus is preparing to come into the world. And it's this incredible passage that I hope you just pause and reflect on this week. that, That Jesus comes to the Father and He says to Him, Listen, I know sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. The son says to the father, I know that it's not about the religious things. It's not about the sacrifices. It's not about the offerings. Those aren't the things that you desire. You don't want blood. It was never his intent. It isn't his desire, but there's something else he wants. And Jesus nails it. He says, I know the plan. A body you have prepared for me. A body you have prepared. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasures. Then said I, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. Jesus says to the Father, You, you, you don't... Your pleasure is involved in this. It's not blood sacrifices. It's the plan. It's the plan of a body. And we know that this plan takes place as Jesus, In in, in, in Paul writes about it in Philippians. He says that Jesus, who was in the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on himself flesh and blood, and he lived and he obeyed even to obedience to death upon the cross. And in Revelations 13, we're told that the plan was already in place before the foundation of the earth were laid, that Jesus was already slain. This plan had been planned from eternity past, and it's what uh, God the Father desired. And so you can hear Jesus saying, I understand a body you have prepared for me because you don't take pleasure in blood and sacrifices. It's not what you want. So oftentimes, people read the Old Testament and they say, God is this kind of weird thing that, that He Desires and it's so violent and it's filled with blood and, and death and, and, and all kinds of things, and we struggle with that sometimes when we, we we almost think that there's a different God of the Old Testament than a God of the New Testament, and this is the reality: God never desired what happened in the Old Testament. It was a shadow, shadow pointing to one thing. And if you remember, the very first week we talked about Jesus being the very brightness of his countenance, he is the one that has cast his shadow upon all of creation because everything points to jesus and then jesus says in this incredible statement we could spend months looking at these couple of verses but because it is just profound jesus says it is your will i've come to do i want to do your will the will of God, the, the heart of God, what does God desires. We ask the question all the time, what does God desire for my life? What is God's will for my life? How do I know? How do I figure out what God wants? Well, here we have it. God's will has never changed. God's will is to make redemption for His people. That is God's will throughout Scripture. Second Peter, Peter writes about it. He says, God is patient. Why? He's not willing that any should perish. That is God's will. God's will has always been redemption for His people. He wills for redemption. The key to understanding, by the way, the circumstances of your life, is to know the will of God. And to know the will of God is this, that He desires redemption. I read a great quote this week. And said, Our problem is we want to interpret the will of God for our lives by the circumstances in our lives instead of interpreting the circumstances in our lives by the will of God. Big difference here. Oftentimes we look at what's going on in our life and we say, Man, what is God's will? And, and we try and define that what's going on, that maybe God is doing this and this in my life because He's trying to show me His will. No, God has showed us His will, and we would be so much better off if we would look at God's will and recognize God's will as redemption for His people and then evaluate the circumstances in our life based upon that. So we can say, you know what? God is allowing me to go through this, this disease, this sickness, because He desires that my neighbor sees how I respond and comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not instead the opposite where we say, these circumstances are happening in my life because God is disciplining me and He wants me to, to do this, this, and that. No, no, no. God has a desire for you and it is redemption of His people. And he allows the circumstances. Romans 8, we, we love Romans 8, uh, specifically verse 28 where it says, and we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And then it goes on, it says that the reason for that is because he is trying to conform us into the image of his son. Because why? Because God desires redemption. And so Jesus says this incredible thing. He says, I want to do your will. Over and over again. That's why Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, if there's any other way, but know this, your will be done. Your will, your redemption be done. And then He closes this conversation with, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The volume of the book. Brothers and sisters, understand this. This entire book. Old Testament and New Testament has one subject, Jesus. Any message that is preached in any church that doesn't have as its core, as its center, Jesus Christ is not from this book. Because the old and the new point to one thing. It's why uh, uh, Jesus, in approaching these two men that are on their road to Emmaus, and they're saying, after Jesus has been uh, crucified, they're like, man, all of Jerusalem is in an uproar. And Jesus walks beside them, and they don't know who he is. And, they, and they're like, what well, rock, rock did you crawl out from under that you don't know what's going on? And then it says that Jesus says to them, in this amazing statement, he says, Oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and he began notice and he began with Moses and all the prophets and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself Philip encounters an Ethiopian eunuch and Acts chapter 8, and the eunuch says to him, he reads from this passage in Isaiah, and he's like, who is this written about? And Philip uh, uh, approaches, and he says, I'll tell you. And it says, uh, Philip opened his mouth and began with the scriptures. He told him the good news about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, anything that we talk about from this book always has its subject as Jesus. So the shadows point to Jesus. The, the Old Testament law point to Jesus because Jesus is all. And so the writer then goes in and explains this whole conversation. He says, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The old is done away with by the work of the Son. He didn't desire sacrifices, the blood and sin offerings. He desired His will to be accomplished, which was the redemption of His people. And it was done by the work of Jesus. And this is an incredible passage. And by that will, okay, I want you to to remember the, the will of God. What we're referencing here is that His people would be redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus. So by that will, by that desire, by the heart of God, We are redeemed. The Old Testament law put aside, and here's the heart of God and the willingness of the Son displayed in their own words. And what an incredible verse that we ought to to be underlining. Verse 10, it says, and by that will we have been sanctified, we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The, the, the original language, the tense here is the strongest tense possible to establish the fact that it is permanent. Permanent. Once for all. By the will of God, by the, the very desire of God that His people would be redeemed, by the heart of God, He sent His Son and the willingness of the Son to obey. In their own words, He tells us that by that will, we are set aside as holy and redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus once for all. Brothers and sisters, we should be excited about Advent because He came and He overcame sin and death. And it's once for all time, permanent. There is no ounce of compromising that you are made holy by the blood of Jesus saints it is only the term that is used to describe those who follow Christ in the New Testament not sinners saved by grace not some pseudo humble term but it is saints set apart holy for all time doesn't mean you're sinless but it means that your sins are forgiven and he is going to emphasize that at the end of this chapter at the end of this section He is telling a people that are struggling and saying, but I see the sacrifices and I I see what I have forsaken in Judaism and I have left my family and they have rejected me. Is it really worth it? Yes, because once for all redeemed, holy, set apart. And the possibility we're told here in verses 11 and 12. He points back again to the law and he says, and every priest stands daily at his service. You, You see those priests You can can envision standing in the temple, the Jewish believer seeing the priest offering the sacrifice over and over again. Every priest stands daily at his service. His job is never ending. We, We mentioned last week, there is never any mention of a seat in the temple. Not in the earthly temple, because the priest's job is never done because he is constantly offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because he has to. Because sin is never done away with. But listen to the contrast. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sin. That is impossible. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice. You see the contrast here sacrifice after sacrifice, standing daily in the offering, something that is a a, a monotonous task that can never be done. What do they call insanity? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's what was going on. Sacrifice after sacrifice, never being able to take away sin. Then there's a contrast. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, what did He do? He sat down because His job was done. And the original language tells us he sat down forever. Forever. And you know what he's doing? Sat down forever? He is waiting with anticipation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. So he came, he lived, he overcame, he, he by his single sacrifice uh, uh, finished the work at the end of, of dying on the cross. He, he looks to heaven and he declares to Telestai, it is finished. He goes and he is buried, he raises from the dead on the third day and then he ascends into heaven and he is now seated waiting for you to celebrate a marriage supper He's eagerly anticipating, and this is permanence. Verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected, how long? For all time, those who are being sanctified. He has set aside. He became flesh and blood. Why did he have to become flesh and blood? To fulfill his own law. Because if you remember in the Old Testament, we hear about, specifically in Ruth, about a kinsman redeemer. He had to become like us so that He could be kin to us, so that He could redeem us. It was an impossibility, because every man who set foot into the priestly role would offer sacrifice, and it would never accomplish anything, but Jesus would come once for all and permanently establish this, this sanctification, and He would redeem us as our flesh and blood. He became us so that He could die as us, so that He could redeem us. And just in case that all of what we've just talked about isn't enough, we have the Father and the Son conversing and telling us this incredible moment of, human, uh, of, of, of eternal history. But not only that, but we also have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds some of the most beautiful words ever penned. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Brothers and sisters, the Father has said it, the Son has done it, and the Holy Spirit has affirmed it. If you are sitting here today saying, But I am struggling with this sin in my life, could God really forgive me? The answer is yes. And the Holy Spirit has testified to it. He has written His law on our hearts and on our minds. And He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Permanent forgiveness. Assurance of the impossible made possible. And, and finally, summarized in verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offerings for sins. Why is Advent so special? Because He came, He lived, He overcame. And then I love how this passage goes on, and and, and we we can't end at verse 18 because there's the word, First word in verse 19, Therefore therefore because of all of this because he has come because he has declared I will I will uh, uh, do your will Father and I know that your will is to redeem mankind through the offering and the sacrifice of, of my uh, life on the cross and because of the law being only a shadow and because those things those religious things that could never bring me in relationship with God because of all of these uh, uh, Jesus has come and he has obeyed to obedience to death and because he has done that he has set aside Uh, by His one-time sacrifice for all time. Those who are sanctified and He will remember our sins no more. And therefore, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, therefore, in response to that, an incredible thing. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His faith. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. That's the gospel in a nutshell, by the way. It was impossible for you. You know, if you walked into the temple and, and the Jewish believer would have heard this and would have totally understood. If you walked into the temple, you would have seen the Holy of Holies behind a curtain you could have never crossed. And on the other side of that was the Ark of the Covenant where God would reside on earth. And, and you could never go there. Only the high priest could go there. And it was the Holy of Holies where we could never go. And, and you know, I was talking to my wife on the way up here. There is a trend in America for what they call high church. And and I'm not saying that that's necessarily an evil or bad thing, but there is this trend that there is this sacredness that we can never approach God. We are going right back to Judaism and Catholicism too oftentimes. Jesus came to earth and said, when you pray, pray to your Father. Because there is relationship now. That the curtain was torn. And and it says that by a new and living way, it is a permanent way that has been provided. He opened for us because He came and He dwelt on earth so that we could enter into the holy places where we could never go before. And we can have relationship with God in an intimate and personal way. Not a distant way. Not where we sent in someone on our behalf to go in and offer a a sacrifice once a year, and they would tie a rope with bells around in case he passed out in the Holy of Holies. They would have to drag his body back out. That was a shadow. It's not that justification is just hard, it's impossible. That's the reality. And it was his pleasure to come and to die and provide a way, and he offered it for you. But therefore, what does Advent give you? I want you to recognize some things here. Advent, the Advent, Jesus coming, gives you some things, some very important things. Number one, it gives you access to God, something that was never achievable. It says, uh, therefore, because of this, since Christ has come, therefore, since you have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Access. Entrance to former prohibitions. You can go there yourself. You don't need Pastor Nate to pray on your behalf. I would be glad to. But you don't need me to do it. You can do it yourself. You can approach God. Access to the King of Kings. In fact, such access that in chapter 4, the same book, the writer says, Therefore, since we have boldness, let us go to the throne of God and find mercy Removal of barriers, the curtain is gone, separation no more. And also, notice what it says in verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, in case you didn't know this, you have an advocate, the greatest high priest ever. One that speaks on our behalf. Therefore, draw near for cleansing. That is a relationship upward. Draw near for cleansing, your heart's cleansed. If you're struggling with sin and doubt and fear, come to Jesus. Through the way he is made, and you will find cleansing upward. And then he goes on, he says, and let us consider how to stir one another. I'm sorry, let us hold fast to the. Per- confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful those who are struggling with doubts and and what this world has to offer and what this world is saying to you hold fast to the confession because it is permanent and that is our relationship inward that we can trust and know that it is true and that it is uh, uh, eternally rewarding and then he ends with this he says and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near stir one another to love that is relationship outward so because Jesus came because he offered himself because he stepped into flesh and blood and he overcame sin and death because he looked at the Old Testament law he fulfilled it let us draw near let us hold fast Let us stir one another. The reason we gather on a Sunday morning, the reason why that is absolutely essential, the reason we are a family, is because He came and He overcame on our behalf. So as you gather around for Christmas and the holidays, and you reflect on Advent, you reflect on what Jesus has done, you, you, you can pause hopefully for a minute and consider what it meant to Jesus to come and why He came. It meant that He would take the, the shadows of the Old Testament and shed light on the reality that He is our hope and eternal salvation. That you would recognize that, that, that Advent means He overcomes for you spelled out that it is permanent and therefore let us do these things that that we we have full assurance of faith you you know sometimes we get caught up in some of these things in hebrews and we're like well i don't understand that why what does he mean by this and and i and i get it there's some difficult things but the reality is that jesus is laying out for us the reality that that if you think For a minute, if you're struggling with with understanding and belief, know that He has come and He has offered and He has perfected what is imperfect for you. And He is our sole hope. And so we celebrate Advent because of this. That He came and overcame. And He delighted in doing it. So I hope that as you this time of year and as you approach this season that your reflection would be upon the fact that he has overcome. Because too often times I think we think of Christ entering our life as a sacrifice that we're making. I'm sacrificing this world. I'm sacrificing various things. I'm sacrificing, I'm sacrificing. The only sacrifice that was made that was acceptable was Jesus. Because all the other sacrifices that we make, they'll never take away sin. They're just a shadow. So therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us, doesn't say the new and living way that we opened, but that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us us celebrate. Let us rejoice that He has come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning that You have overcome that you have given us place to come before you and have a relationship with you, Father. I thank you that we can call out to you. We call you Father. That it is your desired will that you would redeem me. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that that cannot truly call you Father because they have no relationship with you, that they would recognize that the reason that you came and put on flesh and blood was so that you could die like us, for us, so that we could be permanently forgiven. Lord, I would pray that if there is anyone here today that has not put their hope and faith in you, that they would recognize that you have declared in your word that anyone who confesses Jesus is Lord that believes in their heart that you have died and been raised from the dead. They can be brought into perfect relationship with you. And we are promised in your word that anyone who puts their hope in you will never be put to shame. Lord, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you lived. We thank you that you overcame because we would stand condemned in our sin. And so, Father, I pray that our hearts would be drawn upward, inward, and outward. Father, would you move among us, move among your people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.